Amen. Isn't it good to hear the men singing this morning? Rise up, O men of God. I would ask that you'd all rise up at this point in time. Let's worship the Lord. How great thou art. I 
Today we gather together to celebrate what God's been doing in our church and anticipate what he's going to do. And sent out an email uh, last week asking you to, to send in some of the things that you're thankful for about the church. It was one of the things that our devotional guide asked us to do a couple of weeks ago as we began this journey of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And emails came in, things came in through the mail this week, and I took those ten things that many of you love about our church and tried to combine them into a representative list. These are the things that we're thankful for, not in any certain order, but these are the things that we give praise to God for as a church family. We thank God for our well-trained, caring, devoted, energetic, visionary, and united ministerial staff. We thank God for a vision for our community and world captured by heart for outreach and missions and demonstrated through outreach ministries like Upward and participation in mission work and offerings. We thank God that our church is welcoming and caring with open arms to reach people from all levels of society and backgrounds, Demonstrated by our sweet spirit of fellowship in our Sunday school classes, diverse membership, ministering deacons, and card-sending prayer warriors. We thank God that there are numerous places to serve inside and outside the church and that your service is appreciated. We thank God for the excellent and growing ministries for all ages, from preschool to children to youth to college to adults, all the way to senior adults. We thank God that we have faith for our future, and we take prayer seriously. We thank God that we have a unified vision that's clearly communicated and carried out in the spirit of unity and cooperation. Church business is a pleasure and done right with free flow of information and time to make decisions. We thank God that we experience the presence of the Lord in worship through the variety and excellence of our music and sound biblical preaching. We thank God that we have an emphasis on the Bible, demonstrated in our Sunday school ministry, preaching ministry, and various Bible studies. We thank God that we have ample, excellent, and beautiful facilities and a visionary commitment to make them even better. I liked what one member wrote. Instead of ten things, he shared ten things that ten people had taught him through his years of life as a part of the church. But he ended his statement saying this, ten things... Ten people, one God, one Savior, a boy and a man saved by the grace of a forgiving and patient God seems too good to be true. That's what it's about. One of our senior adults added this to her letter. First Baptist Church Pineville has been my church home for 56 years. In every mountain and valley experience, I've seen God's hand work through them all. As time goes, I don't have a lot of it left. But whatever days God has for me on his calendar, I will support my church in whatever ways I can. This is my pledge. What a great statement from one of our senior saints who's committed to seeing God continue to work in his church. This morning we've declared the the praises of the name of of God, the fact that he's with us in good times and bad times and challenges and in opportunities. As we continue in worship this morning, I want us to celebrate him. Reminding ourselves that never once has he failed us. You know, there are times in life where you can stand on a mountaintop and you can look backwards and you see valleys and you see other hills and mountaintops. But you can know as you look back that God has always been faithful. And that reminds you that when you turn the other direction and you look forward, 
that God will always be faithful in the future as he has been in the past. So as we continue worshiping this morning, would you invite the Lord's presence here and just lift up these praises to him as we stand again and continue to worship him. Yeah. 
Would you pray with me? Father, we are ever so more grateful that you are faithful. And as we come here this morning to hear our pastor speak about the state of our church, we're grateful for the state of our church. But, Father, we ask you today not to let us be satisfied, but to look forward to a vision that you've given to our church that we can fulfill in this community, a vision where you will be revealed and your power and your glory will be revealed. And it will be a great victory for you, for we ask in thy name. Amen.
Aren't you blessed to hear a man's man, a mechanic, sing about being with God? That's awesome. Thank you, Conrad. It's cool to be close to God, folks. It's cool to walk with Him. It's a blessing. Each year, we take a Sunday to remember where we've been and consider where we're going. And we call it the state of the church, and hopefully it's more exciting than the state of the union. But we gather together, and I can say with confidence, uh, as I've been blessed to be able to do each of these state of the church addresses, that it is a great time to be first. God is alive and well and active in our church and helping us to accomplish kingdom ministry in numerous ways. You may remember we began 2014 with a challenge and a desire to grow stronger. We journeyed through the letter of 1 Corinthians most of the year to help us to do that. And through the year, we did grow stronger in several ways. Uh, We can only do the measurables today, but we grew stronger in our giving. Uh, For instance, we exceeded our budget in giving last year, and we were very excited to see that take place at the end of the year. Also, our total giving, which was about $1.7 million, uh, over $200,000 of that was given directly to mission work here and around the world through our mission offerings, through our work as a partner in education for Pineville Elementary just next door to us, through our work through our Main Street Baptist Mission, through the North Rapids Baptist Association, and our ongoing giving to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so we rejoice that, that when we give, we don't just reach 901 Main Street. We reach far beyond ourselves. Uh, And because we reach far beyond ourselves, we have a commitment to missions, and we grew stronger in missions last year. Uh, We sent out seven mission teams to places like Appalachia in Tennessee, Tucson, Arizona, even Madrid, Spain. Some of those teams were couples. Some of them were larger groups. Uh, One of the larger groups was several of our students that went with the Louisiana Baptist All-State Youth Choir to Chicago to represent our state and minister through music and, and mission work. Uh, we also prayed, um, paved the way for something significant here at home uh, through cooperation with the Church Site Corporation of Louisiana Baptist Convention, the Georgia Start State Barnett Mission Offering, uh, our Main Street Mission, and our own church funds. We were able to purchase a second building next door to our Main Street Mission down on Main Street. And that mission building is going to allow our mission to expand their food closet and their clothing ministries to move those out of the current facility into that new facility and allow the church part of the building to be able to expand as well. And we'll be doing some renovations on that additional building as part of our building project this year. Uh, Because you gave, we were able to do that, but we also were able to grow stronger in ministry in 2014. And some significant ways we did that, of course, we hired Ryan Smithy as our new full-time student minister, uh, the first full-time student minister in some eight years. And the planning that he has has made and is already making to help organize our student ministry for greater effectiveness is already exciting to see those things happening. We also promoted uh, Jade Perkins from children's intern to children's director. Uh, Jade has done a, a great job helping us to expand our children's ministry. And also uh, we made this move to allow her to continue being able to do that to help us prepare for the next phase of children's ministry growth. We also, with growing children's ministry, youth ministry, senior adult trips, and all those things, we needed some way to get people around. And we had two 
old jalopy vans that needed to be uh, updated. And so we bought a new church bus this year. The first in several updates we hope that will happen to transportation. The first update in transportation that had happened in 10 years or more. And we're excited about that. That bus has already been all over the place. Uh, We continued our investment in families by renovating a space over in our our Cali building, education space, uh, to house a new counseling office. Uh, with licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Sandy Gilliland, who's one of our members. The cool thing about this ministry is when I gave the State of the Church last year, it wasn't even on our radar because Sandy hadn't even joined the church yet. But sometimes God provides ways for you to do things through new members. And so God did that this year, and we're excited to be able to offer a marriage and family counseling ministry now through our church. Those are just some of the many things that we accomplished last year. And as exciting as all those things are, most importantly, we rejoice that we welcomed nearly 80 new people into our church family through transfer membership statement or baptism. And so we rejoice in those new families coming to be a part of our church. But what now? Where do we go In 2015, as I began praying for direction for this message and for something for us to kind of hang our hat on this year, I was led to the book of Haggai. Where? (laughs) When I told uh, my son Zachary a couple of nights ago that I was preaching from Haggai today, he said, that's not a book in the Bible. (laughs) It does sound pretty silly, but it's back there. One of the minor prophets, two pages long in my Bible. Third from the end, one we don't look at a lot. But as I reread the words of Haggai, I, I felt a word for our church coming through. And so if you can find it, turn to, pay it to Haggai and uh, join me there in chapter 1. We're going to walk through the story contained in chapter 1 and draw out some principles to take along with us as we journey this year in obedience to God. Now, to set the background and kind of set him in context, Haggai was preaching in Jerusalem to the people who had returned from the exile. Um, About 20 years before Haggai's ministry, uh, an edict had allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem from being in exile in Babylon. And at that time, about 50,000 people returned, but they faced some very serious challenges. Uh, The city walls and the temple had been destroyed. Many of you are studying Ezra and Nehemiah in Sunday school. You know about the destruction that was there. Their ancestral homes were in disrepair. Uh, The land had lain fallow for many years and and was difficult to cultivate. Uh, There was a lot of opposition to any rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem from the people outside of Jerusalem and the communities surrounding there. And there was also a lot of discouragement among the people who had returned because the job was so huge. I mean, how do you rebuild an entire city? So as the people returned, they put their immediate effort into repairing and building their own homes. And then they stopped. The walls were still destroyed. The temple was still in ruins. Haggai knew the challenges. But the Lord revealed to him a major problem. And that was that the people were putting themselves before God. Now, let's encounter the story and the text together in Haggai 1, beginning at verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Zehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. I think the people were saying, we know we need to build the house of God. But we need to take care of some other matters first. We need to do what God has called us to do. But there are some things that we need to take care of. That little conjunction, but, became a great word of disobedience. On Wednesday of this week, while going through the devotionals, I was challenged in an area of obedience to to the Lord. I edited all of the devotionals, wrote a bunch of them, wrote all of the take time things. I put the questions in there we're supposed to reflect upon. And here I am reading the questions And I'm thinking, I don't have anything I've left undone. And God says, yes, there is. Five years ago, I challenged you to expand your ministry through writing. Gave you what you were supposed to do. But you haven't done it. And for five years, you've said, I know I need to do that, but... And the Lord revealed that that word, but, had become a word of disobedience. So I immediately sat down in my quiet time that day, made some plans to walk in obedience, came and talked with my assistant about things that needed to happen here, talked with Rebecca about things that needed to happen at home for me to be obedient. And as I stood up from that time with the Lord, what a freedom came that I had decided to obey. Now, we just have to pray for the follow through now. The people of Jerusalem were basically saying the same thing. We know we're supposed to do that, but we've got these other things to do. And their excuse was apparently that they needed to take care of themselves. They needed to take care of their own families. They needed to take care of their own families. For look what God says in verses 3 and 4. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains A ruin. Now we might say, well, they needed their own homes. Yes, they did. God's not saying that they shouldn't have built their homes. His concern and frustration is twofold. One is, they had spent 18 years doing nothing but concerning themselves with their own homes. 18 years. Second... They had invested far more in their homes than they should have. Eighteen years of disobedience and self-focus had resulted in severe disobedience. And so God levies the charge in verses 5 and 6. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Here's the principle. Give careful attention to your ways, for if you're chasing after anything but God, you'll never be satisfied. Without God, you can plant and not grow a thing. You can eat and never be full. You can put on clothes and never be warm. You can drink and never be thirsty. You can earn lots of money but lose it faster than you can make it. 
God makes no bones about it here. He's caused dissatisfaction to happen in the people's lives because of their disobedience. Look down at verses 9 through 11. God's speaking again. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their due, the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. You see, when you hold back on God, he often has no choice but to hold back on you. And you'll find yourself like Solomon in Ecclesiastes, chasing after everything, but chasing after everything as if it was the wind. And you come up with meaningless meaninglessness. You see, if you're chasing after anything but God, you'll never be satisfied. That's just the way it is. So God says, give careful thought to your ways. Man, what a statement. And as I read this, this passage in preparation for today, I thought, that's where we've been at a church these last 21 days, giving careful thought to our ways. There have been some difficult devotional moments in this little booklet as we sit and think and reflect. We have to let go of some things and take on some things and assess our lives and our church about some things and And if it's been as rich for you as it has for me, you've come away from this with a great amount of growth happening. There's something rich about fasting and praying and asking God to to speak to you and, and move through you. And giving careful thought to your ways sets God free to move in your life and to show you things and to help you to do things, to be obedient. When you hold back on God, God sometimes has no choice but to hold back on you. But when you hold on to God, He holds on to you. And it's a powerful thing to see. And you learn quickly that there is no satisfaction like the satisfaction that comes from God. When you walk in obedience to Him, you see results. In accomplishments, you see results in satisfaction. Things do what they're supposed to do. You plant seeds, you get a harvest. You drink, you quench your thirst. You put on clothes, you get warm. You have everything you need. You earn wages and being able to use them and not lose them. And you look around and you say, man, this is amazing. And it happens because you're chasing after God. We've been giving careful thought to our ways. And that ends today on a programmed, guided corporate level. But it doesn't need to end on a personal level, and it shouldn't end on a personal level. Every day, every day, you and I must be asking ourselves, am I making way for God to move in me? Am I focused on God? Am I aligned with God? Am I being obedient to God? That's why God, that's what God was saying to the people of Israel and Jerusalem through Haggai. They needed to pursue God and his desires instead of their own desires. But notice something else here. God gives direction. 
to our ways when we pursue him. Look at verses 7 and 8. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. That's the second time he says that. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. God gives direction to our ways when we pursue him. God doesn't call us to do something and not give us direction in how to do it. Here, God tells the people exactly what they need to do. Go to the mountains, cut down some trees, bring down the lumber, build the house. There's direction because God gives direction to us when we chase after him. When we want to do what he calls us to do, he tells us how to do it. But see something else here. God provides what we need to pursue him. He doesn't just show us How to do it, he gives us what we need to pursue him. I wonder if some of the people in Jerusalem were saying, you know, we want to build the temple, but we can't afford to do it. We don't have any wood. We used up everything building our paneled houses. And God says, look up. Yes, look up to me, but look up to the mountains. There's plenty of lumber up there to do what I've called you to do. I've provided it for you. Now here's how to do it. Now come and do it. When I think about these two lessons in terms of our church and where we are, I give praise to God because they are so true. God does give direction to us. As we face a major building project, it is amazing to me the group of leaders God has assembled in our church at this time to help that happen. I told the church last Sunday night at our our business meeting, the last amount of debt I led a church to go into and take for a building project was $70,000. A church member self-financed that. I've never looked at a $4 million building campaign. But we have members in our church who have done that and more in their own businesses. They know what it takes to pull that out. I don't even know how to break that down into bite-sized chunks. But we have people in our church who know exactly how to break that down into bite-sized chunks and to see it happen. And I believe God put those people here for such a time as this. God gives direction to us. But the second is true as well. God provides us what we need to chase after him. A major thing we need to accomplish the task that God's calling us to with the building program is money. I wish it wasn't, but it takes $4 million. But God is providing that. Many of our people have already started giving to our our capital fund, our building fund. And we haven't even had the first capital campaign meeting. We haven't even asked you to give yet. But already about $30,000 has been given in about a, a month and a half or so. And you say, $30,000 to $4 million, that's not much, Stuart. No, it's not. But it's a start. And it means that people see what needs to happen. But I also had a family meet with me a week before last that said, Pastor, we want to give our entire estate to the church. We have kids. They don't need it. They're doing better than us. And so when we pass away, we want to set it up so that everything just goes to the church. I was... Amazed by that. And then they say, Pastor, it's, it's probably $1.2 million about what we're, we're worth. And, oh, great. When I shared that with our deacons Monday night, though, one of our deacons brought a, another truth to me and, and to all of us. He said, Pastor, do you realize 
That's the amount of debt we paid off a couple of years ago. God is honoring that faithfulness. Now, church, I hope we don't see that money for a long time because, frankly, I'd rather the couple be living. But it's a story of God providing. When we stepped out into this capital campaign, we didn't know that was, that was even on the radar. But I believe that kind of story is going to be repeated over and over as people catch a vision for what God's doing in our church. Because God provides the ways that we need to chase after him. But don't miss this important lesson. What we do in obedience to God honors God. The end of verse 8 reads, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. Every single thing we do as individuals, every single thing we do as a church must be to bring glory to God. If our goal is anything else, we are not chasing after God. We are chasing after whatever that other goal is. Our lives must glorify God. Our ministries must glorify God. And yes, even our buildings glorify God. After all, it's a building that God's talking about here. And God says, you build it so that I may take pleasure in it and I might be honored. Well-maintained built buildings bring glory to God. Crumbled down buildings do not. A demolished temple said, God is gone and we don't care. A rebuilt temple said, God is here and we value his presence. Making sure that God is glorified in all that we do must be our consuming passion. So God here gives this word to the people. And now look at their response in verses 12 to 15. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed. The voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord, their God, had sent him and the people feared God. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Jerubbabel. Son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Did you notice how the people responded? In verse 12, we see that they obeyed God and they feared God. So they got the message And they determined to obey it. And they had a healthy fear of God and the consequences of not pursuing him. God had said, you're trying all these things and you're not finding satisfaction because you're not focusing on me. And so they say, we want to obey you and we fear you. That's the response God likes. So he then says to them, I am with you. And then God stirs up the hearts of the leaders and he stirs up the hearts of the people. And their willingness to obey then is met by God's presence with them. He's inspiring them to obey fully and they do obey and they begin the work. So here's another principle. Obedience to God and fear of God make way for the presence and power of God among us. 
If you want to see God unleashed in your life, obey Him. Fear Him. If we want to see God unleashed in our church, then obey Him and fear Him. For the people of Jerusalem in Haggai's day, the presence and power of God helped them to accomplish the very thing God wanted them to do. Build the house of God. And as I read through this passage and I reflected upon it, that was the word for us. Build the house of God. This year we need to build the house of God in two ways. Both physically and spiritually. The most obvious is building the house of God physically. This year we're embarking on this renovation plan. The building program that was too big for me to comprehend has been broken down by some of those fine leaders that we have in the church. The first package, the first project that we'll do is our activities building. We're putting an elevator in that building for the first time ever. Renovating and expanding the restrooms in our snack bar area. Updating our youth classrooms. Making a new entrance to the gym from the snack bar. Painting the gym. Several other updates to that facility. It's going to be important because it's a major front door. Probably a thousand people come through that building just during uh, a week during Upward alone. And those are probably some of the worst bathrooms in central Louisiana in that snack bar. We're fixing that. Package number two is the exterior of our campus. We're going to clean and, and repair the exterior of all of our buildings and put new landscaping in. Giving a fresh, updated, new look that says, hey, God's doing something. At First Baptist Pineville. Package number three are various interior spaces that are going to get new paint or new flooring, such as our preschool floor and our children's floor. We're putting a new elevator in the Cali building and expanding the restrooms on the first floor of the Cali building to make them more handicapped accessible. And we're putting a new entrance to our church office to make it more accessible and updating some of the things there with carpet and paint for the first time in several years. Package number four is the, the big ticket item. That's the sanctuary. This building's getting a, a major overhaul. About $2 million of the project is spent right in this room with new pews, praise Jesus, new carpet, new wall, new, not new walls, new paint, uh, and then new restrooms added on the front of the building. Amen. Apparently people in 1959 didn't ever have to go to the restroom. Whoever heard of two toilets for 1,500 people? But we're expanding because we now have Sonic and we like our drinks. <laughs> this building's going to get a, a nice update. We're repairing a lot of things like the cupola leaks. We're going to fix that. There's some stained glass issues. A lot of repairs taking place. And then package number five are the renovations to our Main Street mission. We've set aside money in this capital campaign to go towards that. We call it Beyond 901. It's something we hope to do in all of our building projects as we, as we move forward, that there be something that happens in ministry beyond us. Work should begin on the first project, the activities building, in April. And a capital campaign will encourage us all to be a part of giving to support this later on this spring. Obviously, building the physical building is going to be a major part of, of this next year and really on into the next year because the sanctuary doesn't happen until 2016. But another way that we're going to build our church physically is by preparing ourselves to make another addition to our ministerial staff. We staff what's important. We staffed pastor. We staffed associate pastor in education, discipleship, administration. We staffed music. We've staffed youth. We're going to staff children next. 
A couple of years ago, we added a summer children's intern. Three months. That proved so beneficial, we extended it to a whole year intern. That proved so beneficial, we extended it to a part-time children's director. And that's all proving so beneficial, we need to make the next step to a full-time children's minister. Our children's ministry is growing to the point where we now need this full-time minister with the same kind of experience and training as we enjoy in the other areas of our church. We've budgeted some this year for this full-time children's minister for about a quarter of a year of full-time. We're going to be putting that money aside, preparing ourselves to hopefully make a hire late this year or early 2016. It just all depends on how we give We'll probably put a search committee together sometime this summer or in the early fall. And this is just another very important step for our church to make in reaching families in the coming generations. Buildings and staff aren't the only building we're going to do this year. We're also going to do some spiritual building. One thing that you have to fight when you do a physical campaign, building campaign, is turning inward. It's easy to turn inward because you you worry about the finances, you worry about getting the projects done, you're focused on motivating people to give. Well, we need to not forget our mission, which is to reach people for Jesus Christ. And so two important ways we're going to strive to do that this year. First is next month we'll begin the First at First Business Leader Luncheon. Every first Monday of the month, we're going to host a luncheon for business leaders in our region. We've been uh, publicizing this on a couple of email lists for some time, and we have a, a good group that's going to be showing up next Monday for our very first meeting. And you might say, why, why leaders? Why go after leaders? For simply this reason. When you impact the leaders, you impact everybody they touch. You impact the leader of the corporation, you impact the entire corporation. You impact the leader of the city, you impact the entire city. You impact any leader, you impact decisions that are made on a wide, grand scale. Besides that, churches who reach leaders grow because they have big vision and they have people that can help them accomplish what God is calling them to do. Churches that don't have leaders are the ones that struggle. We want to be a church that embraces and welcomes leaders. We want to be on leaders' uh, radar so that if they make a hire, maybe they're a member of another church, but if they make a hire and that new person says, you know what, do you know any good Baptist churches in the area? The first one that comes to their mind is First Baptist Church Pineville because they're here every month having a lunch, getting some things from us. Now, this leader luncheon is going to have a time for networking. There's going to be a time, a brief time of, of devotional from God's Word. We're going to have a special guest speaker briefly every month that shares some kind of business tip, something that's very useful. One hour, we're in and we're out. And I'm looking forward to us seeing ourselves reaching some leaders and the people in their organizations. The second way that we're going to strive to reach people is through a weekly visitation night starting in March. Now, we've intentionally set this visitation up in a unique way. Most visitation programs I've ever heard of or been a part of involved everybody every week. You show up one night a week, every week, for the rest of your life. If you don't show up, then you feel guilty, like you don't love people and you don't want them to go see, go to heaven. The problem with that kind of setup is it wears people out. It also wears out your staff. We have a young staff with young families, and we're already called away a lot of nights for various meetings and things. So much so to where we've all probably heard, as I have, Daddy, are you going to be gone again tonight? 
So we didn't want to set up something where we had to be here every night of every, at least one night every week. So if you give us seven Mondays a year, seven Mondays a year, you could be a part of the visitation program. That's what I'm going to do. That's what Thomas is doing, Ryan's doing, and Chris is doing. Seven Mondays a year. We're each going to take a team. First Monday will be my team. Second Monday, Monday is Thomas's team, and so forth. Third and fourth Monday, we'll have a team that goes out on that Monday and just that Monday. The next team can follow up. The next team can do other things, and so forth. We're going to do that for seven months. We're going to take off the month of July because of summer schedules. We're going to take off uh, November through February because of the holidays and the intensity of upward. But the other seven months, every Monday night, there's going to be a team going out. But you only have to do seven. Just seven. Not 52. Just seven. And so we're going to be signing up our team starting in February to be prepared for March. And I hope that you'll consider being a part of that visitation. Just seven nights being a part of helping reach people for Jesus Christ in our city. If we do those two things, outreach ministries effectively, we can see the church be built up spiritually. And I'm convinced that 2015 is going to be an exciting year. I can't wait to see all that God will do. At our business meeting last Sunday night, which thank you for good attendance at that meeting, we made the decisions to move forward with all the details related to phase one. And during that meeting, we enjoyed a special presence of God in just a, a wonderful way of worship. A business meeting became a worship service. After the meeting, there were tears of joy. People were lingering afterwards, talking about past things they had been a part of, talking about the future of the church, just being excited about what God's doing in our church. And as I felt the Lord settle in upon us, I said, thank you, Jesus, because that's exactly what I'd hoped and prayed would happen that night. See, we were, we were having this business meeting and I fully expected all of the votes to be to the affirmative. I mean, we had been talking about this forever. Lots of groups had been able to talk about it. But what I didn't want was for us to just show up, do a business meeting, go through the motions, go home, and we've done some business. I was hoping we would meet with God. We finished up with a meeting, and I was able to, to share that with several people. One particular person that I shared it with, I said, you know, great spirit in the meeting. It was just wonderful, exactly what I prayed. And they said, that's what I prayed would happen too. In fact, one day last week, came in and walked through the sanctuary, prayer walking, asking God to just really be present in that business meeting. And God answered that prayer. That testimony reminded me of something and it encouraged me. When you sincerely pursue God, you really just have to step out of the way. And watch what he will do. So let's do that this year. We've made a way for him to move among us over these 21 days. Now, let's build the house of God. May we pray together. Lord, the challenges that are before us as a people are great. The opportunities are excellent and exciting. And Lord, we give ourselves to you. Lord, we want to obey you, we want to fear you, but Lord, we pray that you would come and say, I am with you, and that you would stir up our hearts as we move forward. Take our lives, God. 
We give them to you as a people. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.